Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hello, welcome to another episode of State Bar of Texas podcast. And today, today we're recording live from the bar's annual meeting here in Austin, Texas. And uh, we're at the JW Marriott, which is just off Congress Avenue. If you haven't been there, Congress Avenue is a really interesting street. I ran it earlier this morning, but uh, incredibly fascinating. Lots of great stores and vendors. So anyway, check it out, but that's okay. Uh, we're going to get started now. i got a wonderful guest joining us. That's Corinne Munsterman, and she is fresh off her presentation, ChatGPT, Benign Title, Revolutionary Development. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. So you're also a law professor. So yes. let's learn a little bit more about your background because I think that's going to tie nicely into our topic today. So uh, where do you work? What do you do? I work at UNT Dallas College of Law. I teach law practice technology. I teach social media and the law. I'm developing a course for AI and the law, which I mentioned in my talk that I'm kind of regretting I said I would do it in fall because too much is coming at me at one time. And I run the legal education technology department. Excellent. So we have the right expert for our topic today. Well, expert. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So ChatGPT, obviously it's been out in the news. Uh, People are aware of it. There's a lot of uh, products and services being designed on its platform. And so just in uh, broad strokes pertaining to the legal profession, what are some of the more revolutionary products you've seen developed on that platform? Well, so far I've seen two that are really, really solid products and I've watched demos and I recommend to people all the time, go get vendor demos. You can learn a lot because they're going to anticipate questions that they got from other people who've gone through the demos. So watch the demos. One is co-counsel from Best Case. So what it does is leverage AI and ChatGPT or generative AI to do things to streamline the work of attorneys. So it will summarize a deposition. You can ask it to cite to particular incidents within the deposition. So let's say it's a car accident, you want to know the road conditions, it can give you the page and the line number, every single place that that appears. It can then, if you're going to depose somebody else, it can then generate deposition questions off the deposition that it just summarized, or it can do it cold. So say you're going to depose an expert on metadata associated with images on an iPhone, right? And you're not really sure where to start. You can enter that prompt and it will give you a bunch of questions that you should ask. And if you have questions that occur to you because of the questions it gave you, you can tweak the original prompt and have it give you more questions. It can extract data from contracts. It can write motions or draft motions rather, because it's always a first draft, never just file that, right? It's always the first draft. Hopefully not. Right. (laughs) Um, So it can do a lot of things for you. The other product is uh, Spellbook, which works with contract management and contract review. And it can summarize case law for you, and it can summarize parts of the contract for you and help you extract data. Uh, There's another product that I use in my class where my students can get a certification on contract review. It's a company called Legal Sifter. And what it does is... It combines artificial intelligence and human intelligence and will find all of the missing terms, find terms that have been found but may need to be tweaked, recommend language that you might change it to. You can enter your own playbook into the system. So there are a lot of really interesting products out there now. All right. Next question is about ethics. So you and I had a great pre-grade. I wish I'd been uh, 
recording our pregame conversation, but uh, just talking about uh, ethics and the use of artificial intelligence models for legal work. And so, you know, recently I've been implementing ChatGPT into kind of drafting, at least pre-drafts of a blog that I do for my own website. It's just testing it. I'm just trying to learn. It's a learning tool for me. But mm -hmm. doing it in conjunction with one of our shows that we have, California Innocence Project, and just running over the different types of topics that we talk about. And so one of the things that I noticed is that it'll throw an incorrect citation. I don't mean just a little off. I mean, like way off. Like this never existed citation. Right. And so I, I understand and I think we all read about the attorney that uh, got in trouble in court uh, for submitting wrongful or wrong information mm -hmm. to the court and, uh, of course, got lit up in court for it. And so let's let's talk about the ethics because it's... It's complicated. I think, uh, you know, garbage in, garbage out. I mean, these, these artificial intelligence models are only as good as the information that goes in. That's one. And then beyond that, there's processes and procedures that kick information out, does its research and summarizes its information. But this doesn't always work. And so let's begin there. So what do attorneys that may not be so familiar with these models need to be, what, what do they need to be aware of when they get into this world of artificial intelligence, helping them with their legal work? First of all, they need to be aware that it's very versatile, but it only is predicting the next logical word. That is all it is doing. It is not thinking. It doesn't know it's speaking to a human. It's an it, even though it uses the word I or my when it's responding to you. Based on statistical models of language uh, that are applied, there's a bunch of parameters that are applied to its corpus of data, which includes all of the public information that's available online, which includes things like fiction, right? It's got 65 billion books in it. Some of that's fiction. Some of it is fake data. Some of it is wrong data. Some of it is outdated data. It's not analyzing for accuracy. It, and it's not lying. It's hallucinating. Or I think there's another word, confabulation, that's brought from psychiatry that where people have a, a disorder where they come up with stories with no intent to deceit, right? It's the same kind of thing. It's just a predictive model of language. That is it. So be aware of that. Second, it's a drafting tool only, right? That's it. If you want to learn something about a new topic, it's a great place to start, but always verify. Verify, verify, verify the data. It is true that it comes up with fake citations, right? Because all it's doing, it's not checking to see whether there is a citation. It's just doing the statistical analysis of language against words, right? and predicting that next word. So that case that you mentioned, not only were the citations wrong, but when the court ordered them to provide the citations, it provided quotations from the case and had all of its internal citations were wrong too, were, did not exist, right? So they had other technological problems within the law firm itself um, that got them into this kind of trouble. So my best advice is to get some CLE training on on legal tech. If this person understood the databases that he should have had access to and how to check the data and check the cases and citations and all of that, he wouldn't have gotten into the trouble that he is. And by the way, he's not the only one. There's an attorney in Colorado who didn't get nearly the press, but he's also done the same thing. And as a result of these cases, federal judges mostly around the country, but there will be more, have issued standing orders saying that if you have used any of these platforms to generate your filings, you must disclose it and you must verify and certify that you have double checked it, a human being has double checked that data to verify its accuracy. 
Well, let's also talk about, in terms of the ethics, client data. And so you and I were talking about platforms that uh, you know help with the legal work. Uh, maybe they're helping with the research. But that takes prompts, and you have to communicate with it. You have to share certain information about your client with this platform, and then it kicks out a result. And so you were expressing some concerns about, well, where does that information go? Like, how are these prompts stored? Who has access to it? How do you protect your client from that? So let's talk about that. Okay. So with any vendor, with any time that you're using tech, if you're storing data in the cloud, if you are using a case management system that has data in the cloud, if you're using e-discovery platform, whatever you are using, you have to make sure that you understand whether the data is encrypted, where it is stored, who has access to it, what kind of security rights are on that, has the vendor ever had a breach, if you want to export all of your data, can you get a verification that all of your data has been deleted from their servers? What are they using the data for? So social media is you know, replete with all these different cases where they use people's data in order to improve their services, quote unquote. So AI is doing the same thing. Generative AI is bringing in the data that you enter, your prompts, when you give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, you're training the software how to perform better. When you regenerate a response, indicating that you weren't pleased with the first one, it's also improving upon and storing all that data in order to get better. So it's not just learning from the corpus of data that it was fed with and trained on, you're also adding data to it. And while GPT-4 says that it uh, makes every effort to protect user privacy, that is true. It does, I would like to know more about that, really, dig more into that. But user privacy is different from data privacy, right? So what kind of the data that you enter into there, my best advice is do not enter anything confidential. I mentioned earlier that BARD, uh, Google has, you know, BARD is Google's uh, generative AI platform and Google prohibits its employees from entering code into its own system for fear of a leak of their IP. So if Google's not gonna trust their own system, lawyers shouldn't trust them either. Wow, wow, that's, uh, that's a little scary, but uh, <laughs> we'll move on from there. So I think what was interesting too is that, uh, you know, in terms of the information, you know, it's not just about the, you know, the personally identifiable, like, information. It, it's not just about that, but it's also the uh, what you can draw from the information put in. Right. So you and I were talking about like, uh, we're talking about a case and like it's, this is a high profile case. Not naming names, so nothing right. out there is a problem. High profile case in this county. Again, not necessarily any problem there. High profile case, this issue. Now you're starting to be able to triangulate uh, confidential information. Right. And so I think that's one of the things that people need to be aware of is that this tool is learning from you as much as you're learning from it. Right. And so you got to be careful about where that information goes. That's just something to be aware of. Like this information, could you triangulate what that case was, the matter about, and any, could you draw any conclusions based on that, which would hurt your client? Exactly. It's just I teach my students this all the time. People will, and it's very common for lawyers to raise their hand at a CLE session and ask for advice from other attorneys. Like, you know, I'm practicing in this family law case and it's a new judge and does anybody have any information? That's fine, right? But once you put your email domain, make that available so they know what firm it is, and once you isolate it to a county, particularly if it's a small area, and maybe the nature of the case will help disclose whether, like, say you're representing an airline headquartered in Texas. Well, that kind of narrows the field quite a bit, right? right? So you've just, any kind of uh, uh, reporter who's looking at things could could discern who your client is and discern some 
negative information about that client. So you have to be very careful about how you phrase things, especially in any of these platforms, social media, ChatGPT, even at a CLE session. All right, last question for you. So I, I feel like I'm behind already on these technologies and it just seems like every, uh, every innovation cycle just gets faster and faster. It gets more and more difficult to keep up. So let's say there's a law firm out there that's just working hard, they're really good at what they do, but they know, they know they need to start paying attention to this and they haven't had time and now they're like, all right guys, seriously, we got to like pay attention. Where should they go to just get those first initial steps? Well, they would have been fortunate had they attended my session on ChatGPT. Ah, they would have learned a lot. There you go. But if you're really just starting from scratch and you need some background and you don't have a colleague or a kid, you know, your children are usually pretty good teachers when it comes to technology, or anybody to ask, you know, the best resource really is YouTube. It's always YouTube. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. And we've reached the end of our program, but I want to say thank you to Corinne Munsterman for joining us. And if our listeners have questions, maybe they want to follow up or attend one of your sessions upcoming, where can they find you? They can find me on the UNT Dallas College of Law website. Feel free to email me. I will be happy to help. Anything on social media? I stay off social media. I teach social media and the law. Did I mention that? I stay off social media. <laughs> All right. And that's where we'll leave it. But first, I want to say thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And listeners out there, if you like what you heard, do our show a solid here. Please leave a positive review for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Lawrence Cletty. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. <laughs>